This is DIA Connections. I was the National Security Advisor on September 11th, and frankly, it was a failure of imagination. We had bits and pieces here and there. We just never imagined that chatter about airplanes might really be about using them as missiles. Integrity is actually pretty easy to spot. Look in the mirror and say, am I asking somebody to do something I would myself never do? You have seen the evolution of Putin from not very confident to very confident to arrogant to megalomaniacal. And it's a country that really doesn't have much going for it except its military power and its ability to disrupt. Insightful and candid comments from our discussion with former National Security Advisor and Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. Condoleezza Rice, a firsthand eyewitness to huge changes overseas and here at home. From 2005 to 2009, she was our Secretary of State. Before that, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice was appointed National Security Advisor by President George W. Bush in 2001. Four years later, she became the first female African-American Secretary of State. While in office, she championed... During her tenure, she talked with everyone from Russian President Vladimir Putin to Middle Eastern leaders. She is the co-author of a new... She's also an educator, now the director of the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. She's also... Her breadth of knowledge and experience is vast and her list of accomplishments are as long as your arm. Currently, Condoleezza Rice is the director of the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. We were fortunate that recently she accepted our invitation to share her thoughts on a few topics with the 17,000 plus Defense Intelligence Agency workforce. They serve around the globe in defense of the nation. We began by asking the former secretary about what she thinks are the most important qualities to being a good leader. First and foremost, it's integrity. If you ever lose the trust of your people, if you ever lose the, the trust of the nation, the trust of those who put you there, you really are never going to be able to lead. And so I emphasize first integrity. And I always say, integrity is actually pretty easy to spot. Look in the mirror and say, am I asking somebody to do something I would myself never do? Secondly, I would say that you do have to have a vision for where you are going. Leadership is about painting a picture of the world as it should be, not just the world as it is. Because if you have a great vision, but you can't help people to get there, that is, you don't have a roadmap for them between the world as it is and the world as it should be, then you're not going to be a very good leader. Perhaps no one has a better understanding of her leadership skills than former President George W. Bush. Our friendship is forged in fire. Uh, I've seen her under enormous stress, maintain her composure and her capacity to think through issues. No matter the crisis, you have to be careful not to have your hair on fire all the time. Nobody likes to follow a sourpuss. So if every day something's wrong, things are awful, things are terrible, people are gonna behave that way. It's not that you wanna see the world through rose-colored glasses, but you certainly wanna give a sense of confidence to people that there is a way out. In 2001, President Bush appointed Rice National Security Advisor, making her the first woman ever to serve in that capacity. And four years later, 
she made history again, becoming the first female African-American Secretary of State. I, Condoleezza Rice, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States the Constitution of the United States against all enemies against all truly amazing all accomplishments especially considering where it all began for Condoleezza Rice here's former Secretary of State John Kerry Condoleezza Rice didn't have to leave home to have a searing lesson in the struggles that can lead to great transformation I was a kid in high school when I first saw those images of growling dogs and water cannons turned on peaceful protesters in Birmingham. For Condoleezza Rice, this wasn't something that she watched on television. This was her hometown. I grew up in segregated Birmingham, Alabama. I was eight years old when the Civil Rights Act passed in 64. Uh, My family couldn't go to a movie theater, couldn't go to a restaurant. I went to completely segregated schools until we moved to Denver when I was 12. I think it's too much to say, let's be a colorblind society. We're not gonna be colorblind. I just want us to behave as if we're colorblind. I want us not to look at somebody and think, oh, I know what they're capable of, or I know what they think because of the color of their skin. And if we can get there, then uh, the full range of opportunities will be there for everyone. Rice often speaks about education as the key to unlocking doors and creating those opportunities. That was a lesson taught to her early in life from her parents. Here's Rice narrating a passage from her book called Extraordinary Ordinary People, A Memoir of Family. John and Angelina were prepared to try just about anything or to let me try just about anything that could be called an educational opportunity. They were convinced that education was the kind of armor shielding me against everything, even the deepest racism in Birmingham and across America. She earned her bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Denver, her master's from the University of Notre Dame, and her PhD from the Graduate School of International Studies at the University of Denver. Every institution ought to be on the lookout to make sure that people of uh, different backgrounds and different hues and uh, different genders are able to participate in America fully. And the key to that is an opportunity to have quality education. And I will tell you that right now I worry that if I can look at your zip code and I can kind of tell what your educational opportunities are, that's not good for America because we actually are not united by ethnicity or nationality or our religion. We're united by a creed. We're united by a belief. You can come from humble circumstances. You can do great things. It doesn't matter where you came from. It matters where you're going. And if that's going to be true, everybody's got to have access to high quality education. Once you have that, I think the opportunities in America are actually limitless. While in college, Rice took an international relations course that not only had a profound impact on her, It turned out to be one of the most serendipitous parts of the State Department's history. The class was taught by the father of the first woman to hold the position of Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright. Rice was inspired and told her parents that she wanted to be a Soviet specialist. She learned Russian, and she studied and taught about the Soviet Union for 16 years before coming to Washington. In 1987, she served as an advisor to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and in 1989, was appointed by President George H.W. Bush 
as Director of Soviet and East European Affairs on the National Security Council. He once described her as the woman that tells me everything I need to know about Russia. It's too bad because for decades uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, whether it was the, the early Bush years or the Clinton years or the then Bush years and then the Obama years, everybody has tried to bring the Russians into the family of nations, to show them that nobody does want to attack Russia. When uh, Gorbachev came to the United States for the first time in uh, 1987, so he stopped in Canada. And Brian Mulroney, uh, who was the Canadian premier at the time, took him to the window in his office. And he said, now you see that place right over there? He said, that's the United States of America. He said, there's not a soldier anywhere on the border between Canada and the United States of America. He said, we've got some people that look for you know, suspicious cargo, but there's no soldiers. He said, let me ask you this. If they wanted to attack somebody, why wouldn't they attack us? Why would they go all the way over there and attack you? He said, they're not trying to attack you. We've been trying to get that message through to the Russians for decades. It was just a few years later when National Security Advisor Rice would first meet a former KGB foreign intelligence officer of 16 years. He had risen to the rank of Lieutenant Colonel before resigning in 1991 to begin his career in politics. His name, Vladimir Putin. I'd actually first met him when he was the deputy mayor of St. Petersburg back in 1992. And he wasn't terribly confident, and, and he and President Bush talked. We then went through a period of time where I think the Russians believed they had found a strategic uh, relationship with the United States around the war on terrorism. They were actually very helpful in Afghanistan. Uh, they were very helpful uh, because they also were fighting the Chechen. We used to, we said, we don't like the way that you're doing this, but we understand that you have a terrorism problem too, and they appreciated that. But then the Bush doctrine moved on to the color revolutions and to democracy, and that's where Putin got off the train, uh, because he is no Democrat. And he, you have seen the evolution of Putin from not very confident to very confident to arrogant to megalomaniacal. He governs a country, rules a country that essentially and increasingly doesn't believe in him, doesn't believe in what he's saying. He's ruling more and more by fear and coercion, less and less by appeal, which he once had, coming out of the chaos of Boris Yeltsin. And it's a country that really doesn't have much going for it except its military power and its ability to disrupt. So he's not feeling very confident, which is why he's being more uh, assertive, more aggressive, and more uh, bombastic. And so I wouldn't ignore them, but I would try to look past him. It's been a lot of change in 30 years. There are young Russians who don't remember the Soviet Union. They aren't like their parents. They're certainly not like their grandparents. We need to continue to reach out to them. They need to be in our universities. They need to work in our law firms. They need to work in our banks because uh, one day they'll reclaim Russia. Dr. Rice offered up some revealing perspectives regarding another superpower, China. We deal with an adversary who has not just great military strength and power, which is growing, but also economic strength and technological capability. China has clients. It has states that it is transactional with, uh, that it tries to buy loyalty, by belt and road, uh, by concessional loans and the like. But China has also made a lot of mistakes with those clients. 
they are making a mistake that authoritarians often make, which is if I have the power, I can exercise it fully. Well, unfortunately for the Chinese people, that's true within the boundaries of China. But when you're dealing with other countries, that doesn't work so well. We have uh, built something that I think gives China fits called the Quad. When you have Japan and India and Australia and the United States and others knocking on the door to get in, like the South Koreans, like the Vietnamese and, and many others, China's going to realize that it's not just facing the United States, it's facing a coalition of mostly democratic, mostly economically and technologically sophisticated countries. We can win this struggle, but we have to be smart. We have to not try to out-China China. And we have to mobilize both our own technological capabilities and those of our allies uh, to meet what will be a generational challenge in dealing with China, because it has a lot of assets of its own. When we return from a short break, Condoleezza Rice talks about her experiences on 9-11, her advice for intelligence agencies, and about football. This is DIA Connections. Freedom, diversity, equality, democracy, prosperity, community, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Principles that are the heart of our country. Principles that the Defense Intelligence Agency is committed to safeguarding. Breaking new details about North Korea's missile launch. Russia test firing its new intercontinental ballistic missile nicknamed Satan-2. The international situation is the most complex and demanding that I have seen in all my years of service. We have taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We speak truth to power and safeguard the information with which we have been entrusted. We do this to protect the freedoms of all Americans, our allies, and future generations around the world, committed to excellence in defense of the nation, D-I-A. We continue with our guest, Condoleezza Rice, and her thoughts about 9-11 and the importance of preparation for catastrophic events. I was the national security advisor on September 11th, and frankly, it was a failure of imagination. We had bits and pieces here and there. We just never imagined that chatter about airplanes might really be about using them as missiles. I remember that what we thought when we saw some of that was, oh, they're going to try to take an airplane, hijack an airplane and take the passengers hostage or a kind of old, old uh, script of what had happened. So how do you get to the place that you can imagine the unimaginable? I'm a big believer in simulation. I was a part of something that's now uh, no longer even a secret any longer. We had these continuity of government teams back in the Cold War. And the idea was that if the United States uh, was attacked uh, with nuclear weapons, somebody would have to survive. And I was actually a part of the drills for continuity of government um, my first couple times in uh, when I worked in the White House. I'm playing chief of staff to soon to be secretary Don Rumsfeld, who is the president. And so we go out there and we do the game. Fast forward, September 11th. I'm in the the President's uh, Emergency Operations Center, 
And two things occur to me. One is you have got to get a hold of President Putin. Russian forces will be going, our forces will be going up on alert. You don't want a spiral of alert. We go on alert, they go further, and we go pretty soon we're at DEFCON 1, so you've got to tell him what's happening. So uh, he was actually trying to call President Bush. I got in touch with him, I said, President Bush is trying to get to a safe location, but our forces are going up on alert. He said, I know, and I thought, of course you do. He said, uh, ours are coming down, don't worry. Second, even more, from that set of exercises I had done, get a message out that the United States of America has not been decapitated. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. We're looking at a uh, live picture from Washington and there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. It would appear that there has been another major explosion. The pictures were all of the, the Twin Towers and the Pentagon being hit. We couldn't speak because we were in the bunker. The president was on Air Force One. You do not want friend or foe to think that the United States of America is not functioning. So I sent out to every post in the world, you find somebody and tell them the United States of America is not has not been decapitated. I would never thought to do it except those exercises. So simulation and exercises are important for getting your operation straight, but they're also important for making you think outside of the box. At the Defense Intelligence Agency, thinking out of the box has been in our DNA since the agency was established in 1961. DIA has provided timely and objective military intelligence to warfighters, defense planners, and policymakers. We are the nation's preeminent defense intelligence organization. But with all that said, it doesn't mean we aren't open to ideas and suggestions about improvement. So we asked the advice of an advisor. The first thing is don't be afraid to say what you don't know. There can be a tendency in the intelligence agencies by the time uh, a product, intelligence product has gone through many different hands up the way to particularly the National Security Advisor or the intelligence product has gone into the PDB and it's kind of been massaged all along the way and it gets to the National Security Advisor or the President and it's a lovely story, but it doesn't say much. I, I used to tell intelligence uh, folks when they would come in to brief me, my least favorite verb is uh, we assess that. What does that mean exactly? Tell me instead what you actually know, what is still uncertain about it, and then tell me how you assess it. I'm a veteran of having gotten into some difficulty around things that we thought we knew that were built into a beautiful narrative about Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction. Indeed, the facts and Iraq's behavior show that Saddam Hussein and his regime are concealing their efforts to produce more weapons of mass destruction. Let me begin by... We just got to learn from that. And if you remember that your national leaders already have a context for what you are feeding in. If we had been told that Japan was buying large amounts of chlorine, we would have said, oh, well, wow, they must be building a lot of swimming pools. But when you're told that Saddam Hussein is buying large amounts of chlorine, you say it must be for nerve gas because 
he has this attachment to a pension for weapons of mass destruction. So remembering that you're already feeding into sort of preconceived notions about a situation. And now you come in and you present in a way that seems more certain than you might be. But they will be much better served if the finished product has less about certainty and more about here are the possibilities. As Secretary of State, Rice supported the expansion of democratic governments and championed the idea of transformational diplomacy, which sought to redistribute U.S. diplomats to areas of severe social and political trouble. Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice is drawing on her government experience to help other leaders understand today's political landscape around the world. Her new book is called Political Risk. She writes, there is no more thrilling moment than when people finally seize their liberty. That moment is necessary, right, and inevitable. It is also terrifying and disruptive and chaotic. And what follows it is hard, really, really hard. During her time in the State Department, Rice was a champion for democracy and worked to improve human rights issues around the world. But there's also a different side to Condoleezza Rice. And I could try to explain that to you, but you might be better off hearing it from Cedric the Entertainer. President's got the, you know, his main girl with him, Condoleezza Rice. Connie, how are you? Condoleezza. I love that name, Condoleezza. It's so soulful. There's two people, though. You know, the name is broken down. It's the Connie, who's the, that's the person you see on television with the, you know, the nice hair and very professional. Then there's Deleezza. Connie's the one, you know, being very diplomatic in the meetings, you know. Well, that's good. It's great. We're all on the same pattern because at the end of the day, you know, freedom is what we all want. The leads will come out like, North Korea said what? <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Hold my purse, Mr. President. Hold my purse. <laughs> she always had a propensity to do things that would be considered difficult by most. For example, how about playing piano well enough to actually accompany the great Yo-Yo Ma. Here, give a listen. As a concert pianist, I played some of the hardest music. I was a competitive figure skater. I'm exactly the wrong body type to be a competitive figure skater, but I loved it and I went after it. What's the game that I've taken up late in life? Golf. It is hard. It was hard to be a young Soviet specialist as a, uh, who studied the Soviet military as a black woman. Because I can tell you, there were rooms, I walked into rooms, people thought I was in the wrong room. So what is it that attracts me to wanting to do things that are hard? Well, I actually think it goes back to my parents. And uh, it's a, a lesson that I pass on to all of my, my kids, all my students. My parents always challenged me to have higher expectations for myself than anybody else could have for me. And if you're gonna have higher expectations of yourself, you have to put yourself in a position where you're constantly tested. You have to put yourself in a position where maybe your talents and the challenge you have don't quite match up and you gotta figure a way to make it work. And we're all given to doing things that make us feel good because we're good at doing them. I've been to a lot of great places in my life. I have been to the Great Wall of China and to the Kremlin and to the ruins of Rome. But yesterday, I went to the Browns workout facility. That was worth the trip. 
But if I could use the sports analogy, and you know I'm a huge sports fan, no athlete gets better by just doing the things that they are good at doing. If a quarterback is trying to improve, that quarterback won't just keep working on throwing the deep ball if that's what he's good. He's gonna to have to learn to throw the, the little short passes over the middle. He's gonna to have to learn to be more accurate that way. Every great athlete understands that. Why human beings don't understand that more is a question that I would like to ask of every single person because I think getting better at what's hard is really the key to being better in, in general in life. In 2014, a portrait was unveiled of former Secretary Rice at the U.S. Department of State in Washington, D.C. We thought we would leave you with the remarks she made on that historic day. America is, after all, an idea. It is a universal idea that we, the people, ought to be an inclusive concept, not one that is bound by religion or nationality or ethnicity, but by a belief that one can come from humble circumstances and do great things, that aspiration is the mother's milk of success. It's why secretaries of state will continue to care that women are fully empowered so that they will not be bought into slavery, captured by terrorists, and held down. And it's why American secretaries of state will continue to insist that our work is not done until nowhere on the globe do people live in tyranny and every human being has the dignity that comes with the right to say what you think, to worship as you please, to be free from the knock of the secret police at night, and to be able to insist that those who would govern you have to ask for your consent. There are no shortcuts and there's no substitute for the United States of America. In 2021, the Defense Intelligence Agency celebrates 60 years of commitment to excellence in defense of the nation. To learn more, check us out on social media or go to DIA.mil. And please, don't forget to rate, review, and follow DIA Connections. Thanks for listening. <laughs>